Thank you. <laughs> and good morning. We doing well? Good. I'm excited about today. Um, listen, if you're new here or this is maybe under four or five times, it's important that you know that we have values as a church. Um, we actually have three primary values. We are a fascinate, we're people that are fascinated with the gospel. We believe in a very authentic community. And then we believe in a very active mission. Those are our values, but those values have strategies attached to them, how we carry those values forward. And one of them is to build leaders. We really are a firm belief in building leaders who will build leaders that look a lot like them. Or as it says in Genesis, as Moses would say, that the animals would reproduce according to their kind, or the fruit would have seed in it according to its kind. We believe that you should go make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples and on according to how you look. And is that, that's why Paul said, you know, be like me as I am walking like Christ. And so one of the things we believe in doing here is building leadership, both men and women of different strata and different purposes. One of those being pastoral leadership. We reserve this for men, but we have a residency here. Residency that we work with men who feel called to lead either from a vocational or a non-vocational position in the church. It's very important to us. This is actually our second residency. Our first one profited us greatly. We got a bunch of pastors and we got a church planner out of it. This residency, we currently have six men. These are men who have approached me on it or they are men who have led in the ministry in the past. I'm real excited about this group. It's one of my favorite things to do, by the way, is to sit around with guys who are looking to lead at this level. It's a joy for me. Sean Angel is one of these men. Right. Now, not all of these pastors or pastoral residents will preach. Currently, we have a board of four pastors. I'm the only one that's a communicating pastor, right? Which is why you've heard me for 24 weeks in a row. <laughs> we don't have very many more. But even at all of our residents, we probably only have four or five that you will see here up on stage communicating to you. Um, I taught a class in preaching. It's what we call an advanced homiletics class. And Sean is the first one up. But I've been able to walk alongside him in this process, and I'm super proud of him. He has spent a truckload of hours on this sermon. And this is my biggest prayer, my biggest hope for you today, is that by him teaching the word, he is able to answer some questions that your soul had walking in here, right? Every one of you walked in here with a different set of needs. You had a certain kind of a week or a life. And I'm hoping that he is able to address those I also have a deep hope that he's going to point to Jesus as the single answer to all of your longings. That he'll communicate that you are far worse than you ever thought that you were, but the gospel is so, so much more beautiful than you ever dreamed it could be. And I think another big hope I have is that he doesn't sound like me up here, but he sounds like him, right? You know, our strategy in building communicators, it works. Chris Harris this morning is leading Legacy West across town. I estimated with him that he's probably around 140 or 150 sermons in now. Um, his first sermon was here from this stage. And then he went to preach about a dozen more after that. This is Sean's number one. This is his first sermon. There's always a number one. Listen, I love a lot of things about Sean. I love how he loves his family. I love how he loves the church. I love how he loves Jesus. I've spent a lot of time with him. I've cried with him, traveled overseas with him. I've laughed with him. I trust him to lead you well today. I trust, I trust him to lead my family well today. So encourage him. When he's done today, I want you to get it. Listen, if you have like 
little critiques or coaching, don't bring that today. He doesn't need to hear it today. Don't ever do that to a pastor on Sunday, right? You can mail those to me at lukeidoncare.com, right? And I'll get right back to you. No, but we, we really are. We're going we're gonna to help him through this. Like I said, I'm sure he'll have many more opportunities to preach. But as you have an opportunity today, just tell him how, how much he blessed you, how much he was able to serve you and show you Christ clearly and compellingly today, okay? I'm going to pray for him, and then he's going to get to ripping on it. You ready? All right. Lord, I thank you for this man. I thank you for what you've put in him. Lord, he's going to preach the word, but he's, he's going to preach it from who he is, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited for what this represents in his family and in him. I'm excited for all the things that you've done in his life. It pastors me. It shepherds me. It encourages me. This man's an encouragement. I love you so much for bringing him into our midst. I'm very thankful. And I pray that you would, just with the power of your spirit, enable him to speak today. I don't care if it's jumbled or, or if it, he gets a lot of style points, but Lord, that he would preach empowered by your very spirit. And I pray for the hearts in this room that your spirit would actually communicate with us as well and ready our hearts. Allow us to hear clearly what we need to hear. So Father, you are welcome here in this place. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Yeah, I, I think I'm good. Uh, good morning, everybody. It's a, it's a privilege to be here today. Uh, as I, you know, it is my first time. So, you know, there's, there's nerves and all that. I'm sweating uh, pretty good. Um, but, you know, as, I, as I'm telling people, like, like what I'm about to do, they're, like, they're trying to encourage me, hey, you need to do this, you need to stand up there. But the, the thing that, that pops in my head is something that we've all heard since we were younger. You know, like, if you're going to, to speak publicly, they'll say, picture everybody naked. Uh, that's not appropriate. Uh, that wouldn't be very honoring to my wife. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to be as calm, uh, try to be as calm as possible, and try to articulate what uh, what God has for me to articulate today. Um, if everybody could turn to Second Corinthians, uh, whether you have a device, Bible, Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. This is kind of, this is my life passage. Um, my, uh, I feel like Hillary, I might need some water. But uh, my, my wife uh, was getting me a bracelet one time. My best friend, uh, she went and asked my best friend, she said, now what can I put on this bracelet? And with, with him not even talking to me, um, this is the passage that he gave her. And so this passage has kind of stuck with me through my journey, uh, which has been a really tough journey, but a, a beautiful one, to say the least. Um, so uh, let, me, let me read that. Let's see if we can find it that quick. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Thank you, baby. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Now, that's just one passage, but it was extremely, it's been extremely impactful in my walk. Um, I, remember, I remember it like it was yesterday. And if, I, if I get a little emotional, it's, it's okay. Uh, I'm just an emotional being, and, and uh, my journey has been, it's been really tough, like I said, but it's been really beautiful. 
um, September of 2012. Oh, that's two waters. <laughs> Thanks, man. That's awesome. See, love the church, <laughs> serving one another. That's awesome. Um, two, 2012, September 15th, uh, Tennessee versus Florida. I, I went to, uh, <laughs> I was invited to a game, and uh, my best friend invited me to a game. And what I said was, okay, I'm going to go to this game, but before, before I do that, I'm going to go hang out with some friends, some old friends that I used to uh, hang out with uh, when I uh, worked at Applebee's. So I went there, and I went and hung out with them. And, you know, thinking I'm going to uh, meet my friend, I'm going and having a good time. Well, I got drunk. And when I did that, I felt shame. I felt guilt. I was just, I was just a bad friend, right? And so instead of engaging with my friend, I left. And I was in the cab, uh, and I went home. And the whole time he's calling me, like, man, where are you? Like, what's going on? What's, what's your deal? Why would you do this? And so I went home, and I felt that guilt and that shame, and I went to my wife. I said, all right, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. You know, I'm trying to be something that I'm not. I'm, try, I'm trying to be this good dude, and it's just not working. Now I'm walking with JR. I'm walking with him. He's walking with me. He's sharing the gospel with me. He's loving me. But this, this day is when it hit, and the gospel became real. It, 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 became, it became something different, and I believed it. I believed everything that he was telling me, what he was walking me through. It just became so real in this moment. I had pretended that I had it all together. I remember me, me and him talking, and he, he'd be like, uh, man, you don't get it. I was like, yeah, I do. He's like, no, you don't. I was like, yeah, I do. So we go back and forth, right? He's walking me through this. You just don't get it. But that day, I got it. The next day, I see him, and he, he, um, he expressed his, uh, his, uh, the way he felt about that. Like, I, I, you know, why, why would you do that to your brother? And I said, JR, I'm sorry. I don't know. But something changed that day. Uh, and it was, it was beautiful. It was really beautiful. And I'll never forget it. But, um, um, sorry, bear with me. What, what I want was something new. I wanted something new, a new beginning, a new start, a new fresh start. And that's what I felt that day. I felt that something was new. I needed a fresh start. This is, I have to believe in this thing. And this is, whether you're a Christian here or not, um, we all desire those new things. We need a new fresh start. We need a new beginning, whether that's a, a new car, uh, um, a new iPhone, Galaxy, whatever your vice is, um, a new diet, how to get healthy, new clothes to make you look handsome or pretty, a new job, or even a new church. And you can fill in whatever the blank of new that you want, but there is something new that we all desperately need, and that's a new heart. Due to our fallen state of disobedience, 
We could never want this. This is something that's given to us. This is something that God has to do. Due to our sinful nature, nature, sorry, our father Adam and our mother Eve were disobedient to God, and they, they will, we will never desire this. Uh, Paul writes in Romans 3.11, no one understands, no one seeks for God. And that was me up until God touched me, up until God changed my heart. Without this new heart, we'll continue to try to fill voids with things and stuff and things instead of worshiping the creator. What are those things for you? We know we have them. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks about this. I mean, he tried to fill every void possible, every single void possible, and he had everything under the sun. He's very rich, very rich. And all that he strived for, and he still called it vanity, striving after the wind. And this is somebody who had access to whatever he wanted to in the first uh, two chapters. He, uh, he tests his heart, seeking wisdom, self-indulgence of every kind, and leaving a legacy that he concludes that will mean absolutely nothing when he's dead. I love what he says in chapter 115. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. Our hearts need changing, and even our greatest efforts to do so and understand the world and its messiness. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how strategic you are. Some things just won't be made right. So we can try to fill every void we want to, but eventually it's all a waste of time and a waste of energy. I know this is true up until I came to Christ. Uh, There's these voids that I kept trying to fill. Every time I try to fill them, I just feel empty again. And I know you do as well. Clearly, we all need new hearts. Therefore, we need new creations. Because uh, face it, look at the world today. It's a, it's a pretty nasty mess. That's pretty nasty. Murder, poverty, war, disasters constantly at the doorsteps of people. And not necessarily here, uh, per se, but it's coming. Now, before I talk about a new creation, um, sorry. Oh, I can hear myself drink. Uh, I want to talk about, um, before I talk about a new creation, I want to talk about what it's not. Uh, it's not living in the past. Uh, it's pretty easy for us to do sometimes. Um, I mean, um, we've all made mistakes that, frankly, we just can't take back. Um, so we don't, we don't need to live there. Uh, I mean, what would you take back? Uh, and if, uh, what would you change if you could change anything about that? Ask yourself, if you change those mistakes, would they have shaped you for today? As for me, while I uh, would have taken a ton of stuff back, changed a lot of choices, and I've made a lot of bad decisions, but it has brought me closer to God. 
that has made me who I am. Those, those decisions have allowed me to see how broken I actually am. That I don't have this together. That I'm in desperate need of a Savior. Has put me on my knees, as Luke said earlier, crying. Um, he saw my cries. My wife definitely has seen my cries and my children. But he has brought me to my knees. And it's truly uh, been a beautiful thing because I remember that God loves me in spite of anything that I've done. God uses that brokenness. And I believe he allows us to make stupid decisions in order for us to remember how desperate we are in need of him. And regardless of how good you think you are here in this moment and this time, we are all struggling with some type of addiction or sinful decisions. Some are, all, some are on display for everybody to see. Some aren't. And I was telling my wife today, Super thankful that God, like, put mine on display. Like, he didn't even give me time. Like, it just came. Right? Everybody, some people get to hide theirs. I didn't get to hide mine. It's just right there. There you go. Look at Sean Sin. That was a, a thing that uh, I'm most thankful for. Um, I, remember, I remember, I don't want to say daring God, but talking to God one time. I was willfully going to sin, and I said, Lord, if... If I am to not do this today, take this from me. Do something here. Flatten my tire, whatever. Fill in the blank. I don't, it doesn't matter. Just do something. I know you, you, can, you can do anything, so do that. And he didn't. He let me willfully sin. And uh, as a result of that, brought me to my knees again. And... Uh, that was what I needed. He knows what I need. And what about uh, consequences of your decisions? What role do they play in your addictions or bad decisions before Christ has changed us? See, I believe consequences of sinfulness don't change a heart. Don't change a heart. In my life, this is true. I remember no ha- no no matter how bad the consequences were, I would still, even after feeling bad, want to go back and do those again. Uh, The sin in my heart was so deceptive and and attractive that I frankly didn't care about the consequences. And if we do care about the consequences, it's only to preserve who we are as people and how others perceive us. Proverbs, you don't have to turn here. Uh, I'll just read uh, from this in Proverbs 20, uh, 23, 31 through 35. It says, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Now, this specific passage talks about drinking. 
<laughs> but I believe you can put anything in its place. We can think consequences of sin will somehow wake us up from uh, doing it again, but it won't. We would just wake up again wanting to do the same thing over. But those things, those things no longer define us as new creations. We have a different identity, and we no longer have to beat ourselves up with guilt or shame. We are now new, and we should live like it. We no longer have to fall victim to our sins, whether on full display or hidden to the outside world. We can choose Christ now. And we have to believe that he is enough. We also, uh, it, it doesn't look like doing good things in order to receive God's favor. Some of us go to church every day, read your Bible from time to time, tithe, and seem to be following Christ. We even observe certain holidays and sacraments, but that doesn't make us Christian. Some, we don't curse in front of others. We're polite in front of others. But in the background, we are different. We are angry. We are putting on a show for all to see, like we have it all together. Well, we are certain t- certainly lying to ourselves. God sees all. And so we all, all we need to be is real. You're thinking this goodness that you have displayed to others to, to, will give you a favor with God. But God knows your motives, and those motives are flawed. You're doing it for your glory, not God's. Listen to Isaiah 64, 6. We all have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. Other translations are a little more vulgar. Uh, but I'll just stick to that one. New creation is not living for self either. The old creation is all about us. Words like self-esteem, self-sufficient, self-reliant ring loud in our hearts and minds. Saying things like, just do you. Or just take care of yourself is what we all think about. And why do they sound so lovely to us? Because the world says it's all about you. You're all that matters. If you take care of yourselves, you will be fulfilled. No one should have control over you. You should be able to do whatever you want, no matter what anybody says. It's all about a better you. Bigger, faster, stronger. This is not a problem just for the unbeliever, but also people who identify themselves with Christianity as well. You know some of them. They produce tons of self-help, self-help books, but leave out the gospel and all the power to God and God alone. A um, good friend of mine, he was uh, telling me this story. Yeah. And, uh, it was about, he was having this conversation about tithing. And uh, this one guy he was talking to, the guy says, um, He's talking about, you know, just talking about 10%. You know, there's different views on that. This guy said, well, I tell you what, man. I give 10% myself first. I was like, what? Oh, am I missing something here? And so even amongst us who identify as Christians, we have uh, distorted views of what it means to follow God. Um, Let's face it. When we think about others... 
we're actually looking out for ourselves, scheming and thinking of ways that will benefit, that will benefit from the things that we help people with. We want the glory for helping others. What about when, uh, when a thing in my life, uh, I like to open doors for people. And sometimes you get people who are like, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you opening the door. That's so kind of you. Then you got other people who are just kind of, they don't even acknowledge you. And so me, being sinful, oh, you welcome, man. You welcome. No problem. I got you. I got you. Uh, and, and, and that's not the way to do it. I wouldn't recommend that. But that's, you know, that's my struggle. That's what I struggle with. I did, but I did do something good the other day. I did open the door for somebody, and uh, it was a guy, and he uh, he uh, he walked through, didn't even acknowledge, you know, anything like that. And I just smiled and said, "You know what? It don't matter." Or what about or what about when we go out of our way for some someone? Do we not make sure that they know we are making a sacrifice for them so that, they, so that they would look at us differently and praise us for actually making that sacrifice? We just love it when people praise us for the things we do. It gives us a sense of self-worth. So in those moments, we elevate ourselves to God's status, and that is where our identity lies, in ourself. I believe we use words like self-worth and say these things because we think too highly of ourselves. We don't have humility. And we are extremely prideful people. I mean, we literally think we can save ourselves. And then people, you hear people say things like, follow your heart. Do what the heart tells you. Well, Prophet Jeremiah will have something else to say about that. Jeremiah 17, 9, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Doesn't seem like a smart thing to follow your heart. So we are very, very flawed in doing for others uh, without being new creations. It's still about us. Self still wins. And if we get burned by someone, we become bitter and vow never to help them again. Because it's about us. But Christ says we must die to ourselves. In Matthew 16, 24, 25, Jesus clearly points out that it is no longer about you. He told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever saves his life for my sake will find it. So then how do we get there? How do we become this new creation? Or why do we need to become this? Well, you always have to go back to the garden. When Adam and Eve were in the, Adam and, Eve were in the garden sinning, and they sinned against God, they no longer have God's spirit. They can no longer walk with God like they did before. As it says, they're walking in the cool of the day with the Lord. I can only imagine what that looks like, what that feels like. He banishes them from the garden where they once walked together with God. And he gives them a promise that Eve's seed um, uh, would crush the head of the serpent. And, um, sorry. Would crush the head of the serpent and that 
and that that person who crushes the head of the serpent will kill sin once and for all. He take our punishment that we deserve. By that, we will be reconciled to God. And Isaiah, he points to this person in, in the 53rd chapter. And this person is Jesus Christ. Jesus would take our place on the cross and die the death that we deserved. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Luke talked about the sacrificial system. And it's and like he, he would say the word wonky. It's, it's a little wonky. I was actually reading in Exodus and Leviticus, and I'm like, this is crazy. This is it's so repetitive and, 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 and crazy. But this was, this was the sacrifice. This is what you had to do in order to, for forgiveness of sin. But through the death of Christ, he would be the final sacrifice for all. He would be the lamb to atone for all our past, present, and future sin. After being raised from the grave and therefore defeating death, he would promise the Holy Spirit who would now live in our hearts. When we believe in the gospel and, and repent of our sin. Once we have that spirit, is evidence that we are a new creation. And therefore we are born again. 1 John 5, 1 says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know the love, uh, by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Our rebirth produces a love for Christ that comes out and produces obedience. So as a result of our faith, it will produce and obedience to God and his commandments. So I used the term born again. Um, I believe J.C. Ryle, who is an English evangelical Anglican bishop in the 19th century, says it perfectly. He says, to be born again is to enter upon a new existence, to have a new mind, a new heart, New views, new principles, new taste, new affections, new likings, new dislikings, new fears, new joys, new sorrows, new love to things once hated, new hatred to things once loved, new thoughts of God and ourselves and the world and the life to come and salvation. So what does this new creation look like? Well, I believe it has a purpose. And its purpose is to pursue God. The Holy Spirit's pursuing God through you. As we, as we are a new creation, we have the privilege um, to follow God. Uh, now, we won't be able to follow these things perfectly because we're in our fleshly bodies. We still have the sin nature, but we believe in the one who was perfect and who followed God's will and commandments flawlessly. <clears throat> Our cares change. It, we see the world from a different viewpoint, a viewpoint that wants to serve God and serve others at all costs. We are separate. We love others in spite of them. And we have no shortage of opportunities to do so. There are tons of people out there, family that we're born into, family that we're not born into, that we can love on, that we can show them the love of Christ. 
by reconciliation. We are also no longer slaves to sin. We are sons and daughters of God. Paul explains this in Galatians 4. Not only are we not slaves to sin anymore, but we are adopted sons into the family of God, and God has sent his spirit into our hearts. We are heirs into the beautiful kingdom of the one true living God of the universe. We are born again. We are new creatures. I'm sorry, new creatures. We have his spirit, and it resides in us forever. If you look at a little uh, earlier in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this. That the Spirit is given to us as a guarantee of what God has done in us. So earlier I talked about the moment where Christ changed my heart and I became a new creation. Well, just because I became a new creation doesn't mean everything goes away. So everything that I've struggled with prior to being a new creation stays. It doesn't just automatically change and say kapoof. Now, there may be some things in your life that go away, but not everything does. There are times in my journey where I'm sure people question if I was a new creation. And I look back. um, Well, countless times I would fail. I'd fail as a father. I'd fail as a husband. Tremendously. And it hurt. But I would continue to believe the gospel. That those choices no longer define who I am. And that I had the opportunity and the ability to cry out to God and say, thank you for loving me in spite of who I am. And I continue to do that throughout my journey. And what a hard hard journey it's been. So this is who I am. A man of God who's been allowed to choose God and trust in him instead of trusting myself. Because I'm just not good. I'm just not good. And I love understanding that. I love knowing that I'm not good. And that God loved me in spite of who I am. That concept is just really hard to grasp. But I needed to believe that. I needed to trust that. To trust what he says is true. That he died for all my sins, past, present, and future. No exceptions. Since we are new creations, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are the means of how God is going to reconcile the world to himself. We have the responsibility of getting that word out. It is through us that he shows his holiness. And we are his messengers to the lost world. He also commends us to be holy. In 1 Peter 1.14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And once 
this new creation comes about, we, we start to get uncomfortable. We should get uncomfortable. We're not of this world. I personally am not comfortable living here. I know I'm here for a reason, a purpose, and that is to preach the gospel. But I'm not comfortable here. I love my wife. I love my family. I love basketball, running, laughing, eating good food, and just getting to grow, right? Just getting to be around people to enjoy the, the things that God has allowed us to enjoy. But I yearn for something more than that, and that is to be with my king. That is it. I do, I do love being here, but I want to be with my king more. I want to be God, with God more than anything that this world has to offer. It is nothing. It is nothing to me. And if you don't want him, uh, if you don't want to be with him more than anything, then maybe something's wrong. But I would go on to say that I hope one day you do want him more than anything. I hope you want to be with Jesus more than anything. And maybe you just aren't seeing the call to love God rightly. That's a possibility. You see, because we can't love this world and love God. It just ain't going to happen. Now, I know we're all in different seasons of life. They're not trying to make you feel bad. But look what Jesus says in Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother and father and wife and children and brothers and sister, yet at even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So God is better than anything. He is better than anything that you would ever want. Now, I know I'm being biased, but it's true. That seems pretty provocative language. But he's saying you've got to be all in. It's not one foot in, one foot out. This is all you got. This is all you need. This should be all you want. Now look, it's not easy. But I feel we have to look different. We have to be vulnerable. We have to love each other in a way that is beautiful and attractive to others. While still in this broken body, we still get angry, we get frustrated, we get anxious, overwhelmed, and discontent. And we still suffer like the world does. But while the rest of the world tries to fill the void when things get messy, we go to Jesus. We find rest. We find peace and all that. We get the opportunity to trust in his work to lay our burdens on him. Trusting in him only propels us to look like him. We trust that the work on the cross is enough. He alone is sufficient to sustain who we are as people. We don't need to look anywhere but him. Now, I know what you're saying. Easier said than done. Of course it is. We aren't used to living for something else or someone else or who we were designed to worship. We want to worship ourselves. 
But we need each other as new creations. As new creations, we seek out new creations. We need community. We can't do this on our own. God designed it that way. I love what Diedrich Bonhoeffer says in his book, Life Together. He states, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all all our fellowship is in Christ alone, the more serenely shall we think of our fellowship and pray and hope for it. So, sorry. I hear myself drinking here. It's weird. So we need this. Matter of fact, community is commanded. John 13, 34, 35. It says, a new commandment I give to you, to love one another just as I love you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the community is essential. We are to seek this out because we can't do it for ourselves and we aren't meant to. We need each other to grow in our love, not only for Christ, but for one another. New creations seek out new creations. We're all unified in Christ. And I do believe we need a little bit. says to begin to believe things that simply aren't true. Things like, well, your sin isn't that bad. God doesn't really love you. Or like my issue was, man, you got this thing figured out. You've got to will, you, or, or, um, or um, things like you have the will to fight your sin by yourself. Well, sin is very, very strong, and you will not win. You're absolutely no match for it. It's not going to happen. I've tried. I'm a very strong-willed person. There ain't no will in that. We also need each other, right, to see our sin. We have countless times in, in community. Um, my brothers and sisters have, have been there to, to, to talk to me about, man, you're just being a little harsh right there. I remember a, a good friend of mine um, <laughs> we were in the kitchen one day. This is early on in my walk, and he said, "Man, he said, do you yell a lot?" I said, "Oh, for real?" And <laughs> instead of getting angry, <laughs> which I wouldn't recommend doing that to somebody who you just met, but um, instead of getting angry, I was like, "Huh? Maybe I do yell a lot." And in that, he was being real loving, right? We don't think of that as loving. We're like, man, this dude's a jerk. But he's not. He's loving me. He's, he's helping me. He's getting me to see things that I wouldn't normally see, that, that, that uh, or I was blind to. And so that's why we need each other. And this is one way that we grow. This is how we grow exponentially. When we have people, like, speaking into our lives, we're like, hey, look, look, that's a problem, dude. Uh, I mean, in my community. We do it all the time. It's a beautiful thing. Because life gets hard, man. Marriage is hard. Singleness is hard. 
Parenting is really hard. Jobs are really hard. <laughs> but we need each other to remind the gospel when remind each other of the gospel when life hurts. Because it just does. Life does hurt. And a lot of us have it good, right? You know, we, we, we're able to freely uh, pray when we want to, come to church when we want to, and um, in, all, in all those things. We have freedom in our religion. And that's a very good thing. But it ain't always going to be that way. God, I feel, invented these relationships to reflect his relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Working together to show his glory. And I believe we can do the same thing and it's how we design a community to do so. And that in those relationships that we would glorify God. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. There's, you know, when it comes down to people are people. And, you know, if things aren't done our way, we get a little uncomfortable about it. Um, but we should express that. Because why? Because we love each other. But God is saving us. He is transforming us into the image of God. I have this little, little bitty illustration. Uh, picture a caterpillar. <laughs> You're the hungry caterpillar. I know everybody's read that book probably. But that caterpillar is you and me, right? And so he's just eating. That's all he eats through the whole book, right? He just keeps eating, eating and eating. I think that's, that's what we do. Like, you know, we're in the world. We're just eating up sin. I'm so good. I love sin. We just love it. We eat up all what the world has to offer. We're constantly digesting what the world throws at us. We eat as much sin as possible because it just tastes so good. <laughs> I know it's like, but, oh, goodness, a caterpillar. Anyways, at, at a moment, at a moment in time, the caterpillar decides to stop eating. And he says, okay, it's time to transform. I do believe at that time, if we think about it and we look at it, that that time is when God changes our heart. We're that caterpillar, and, and there's time for change. This new transformation, this new creation is coming about. He spins, it spins itself in a cocoon, and when it does that, it digests itself. It sounds kind of disgusting, but, but it, it digests itself. And it becomes this like soup-like material, right? It's kind of messy. That's where we are. We're new creations, but we're still messy. We're in this messy body. In that mess of the cocoon, there's new transformation. There's something happening there. These cells start to form and all this stuff, and it starts to make antennas, legs. Um, what else does it make? Let me find out. Hold on. <laughs> Wings. <laughs> Eyes. 
Oh, goodness gracious. How did I not know that? Yeah, it's a, it a brain fart, sorry. All the body parts of a butterfly is what it's making. Now, we're not the butterfly, the, 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 the mate up butterfly. Like, we're, we're not that yet. We're still in these messy bodies. Now, we're in the cocoon stage. And the radical transformation that happens when God changes our heart in this messy body. Now, there will be hills and there will be valleys. But we are in, if we are in Christ, he is transforming us into his likeness. We are on this side of glory, but he is coming for us. He is molding us for this coming. And when, when he does, we get to share in his glory. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. He is coming. Now that cocoon is messy, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful process and essential for growth. So let us grow in that mess that these bodies endure. And one day when the king of the world, who is our father in heaven, comes, we will in fact be that beautiful butterfly that comes as a result of him making us a new creation. I just uh, want to thank um, everyone who showed up today. Yes, this is my first. Hopefully it won't be my last. Hopefully I didn't do that bad. But there have been, there's people in here who have been a part of my journey from the beginning. And I am extremely grateful for you. I love you so much. And uh, I just want to encourage all you to live in Christ. He is better and more beautiful than everything. I love him, and my prayer is that you will love him as well. So may God bless all you. And let me pray for us right quick. Oh, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for being who you are for loving us in spite of who we are. Lord, I just want to, again, encourage everybody in here to seek you, that you are better than anything that they could ever want or need. Lord, Father, thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.